Good morning. It is Thursday, the 11th of June. I'm Tom Tilley. You're listening to The Briefing. In a moment, we're going to brief you on the relationship between Australian police and Indigenous Australia. They always refer to us as the lucky country. Right now, with the current climate, there's a lot of focus on um, the problem which is great, but we need to now look at solutions. We'll look at a solution into that troubled relationship in the second half of the show. First, I'm joined by Jan Fran, who still doesn't have COVID-19. G'day, Jan. Hello, Tom. Good morning. Look, another morning without COVID-19 is a good morning to me. And to me, I guess. And to you as well, exactly. All right, let's get into the big news of the day. If you are a fan of uh, Aussie comedian Chris Lilly, look, you won't be able to see a bunch of his shows on Netflix um, because the streaming platform has pulled some of them down due to his use of blackface uh, or so-called yellowface as well. Angry Boys, Summer Heights High, Jonah from Tonga and We Can Be Heroes have all been taken off Netflix. Yeah, and over in Britain, actually, the comedy sketch show Little Britain, uh, which did feature full-body blackface, uh, also has been pulled from streaming platforms as well. The BBC says times have changed since its heyday back in the early noughties. Um, Netflix has confirmed it's pulled the show as well and another one done by the starring comedians David Williams and Matt Lucas for the same reason. Jen, it's interesting to see these you know, big networks making these decisions now. They would have had to wrestle with a lot of these decisions before why, yeah. why change now? I mean, that's the big question, isn't it? Because I, I think that there has been a lot of controversy around, well, Chris Lilly in particular in Australia for many years now. So the decision to pull the shows from Netflix last night um, kind of begs the question of like, okay, well, what, what's changed this particular time, you know? And I think, yeah, the question goes to, is this really about their values and have their values only just changed because they've seen the public sentiment. So is it about their values or just public sentiment? Yeah, I mean, I think that they uh, probably owe it to their audience and their viewers. And and this comes amid a wave of cultural change, I guess. I mean, we've seen in Britain statues being toppled, statues of um, known kind of slave traders. In Belgium, the same thing's happening as well. So I think it's part of a bigger picture that Netflix has possibly made the decision knowing that context. And it might sound hard to believe, but the inquiry into the Ruby Princess has heard that connecting flights were the reason passengers were let off the ship before getting their coronavirus test results. What is it that was weighing against waiting and seeing? I, I think it was the our concern for the passengers primarily. Who, what, to, so they could get home to their own bed, as it were? Or to their flight. Uh, to their flight. Yeah, a bit of shock there in the voice that you can hear, but we've all needed to catch a connecting flight. We've all become irate about it, no doubt. You heard there New South Wales Chief Human Biosecurity Officer, Dr Sean Tobin. Um, he was questioned about why they couldn't wait six hours to find out the test results. Now, the commissioner said that it seemed, to quote unquote, screamingly obvious that you would keep them on board. Yeah, and it led to 22 people dying. You've got to remember that. So this is a really serious story. Um, still remains the country's biggest cluster of COVID-19. So there's been lots of shocking revelations to come out of that inquiry. Yeah, it'd be There'll probably be more. Yeah, very interesting to see how that inquiry culminates. And CrossFit might be harder to come by when you go back to the gym. Um, a stack of Aussie companies are actually cutting ties with the sport after its American CEO posted an insensitive tweet about George Floyd. So there was a tweet that said racism and discrimination are critical public health issues that demand an urgent response. And then the CrossFit boss, Greg Glassman, replied, it's Floyd 19, referring to the coronavirus. 
Yes. Hasn't gone down very well. No. And look, unsurprisingly, again, I think in this climate, just don't say that just quietly. And it's not just gyms that are pulling away. American professional CrossFit athlete Rich Froning Jr., who's very popular, very well known, he's announced that he doesn't want anything to do with the sport either, which is, you know, that's pretty big. I can no longer be a part of that. In the world we live in right now, we don't need comments or people to divide us even further. We need to come together. Yeah, so Greg Glassman um, got panned online. Um, he apologised for hurting the CrossFit community. Uh, he says he isn't racist, but he made a mistake. And he's retiring from his position as CEO. Yeah, and I think all of this comes amid um, allegations that he made some pretty questionable statements in a Zoom meeting to some of his colleagues saying that he and his colleagues weren't mourning the death of George Floyd. Right. Um, So slightly compounding issues there as well. And police in New South Wales are heading to court to stop more protests that are planned for this weekend. Officials say they haven't gotten the proper paperwork for a second Sydney Black Lives Matter rally planned for tomorrow night. And if they do, they won't allow it. They're also going to court today to try and stop a refugee rally planned for Saturday. Yeah, so a a bunch of rallies planned for New South Wales. Organisers in Adelaide, meanwhile, have cancelled their event over concerns about spreading the coronavirus. While Western Australia's health minister has been accused of double standards after saying that his wife will represent him at Saturday's upcoming rally in Perth. Yeah, and interesting in federal politics, four Labor MPs who went to the Black Lives Matter rallies over the weekend are being tested for coronavirus. Anthony Albanese, their leader, has said that they followed health advice at the rally, but they're being tested out of an abundance of caution. Um, But two Green senators, Janet Rice and Maureen Faruqi, who also attended a rally, aren't going to get tested. Oh, right. Look, I think it's probably wise to get tested, especially if you're going to be in the hallowed halls of our parliament. We cannot test 30,000 people who showed up to the Sydney protest, for example, but it's good to know that the leaders of your nation are coronavirus-free. All right, thanks, Jam. We'll catch you tomorrow. In a moment, we're going to interview an Indigenous police officer. All right, we're now joined by Jamila Rizvi as we brief you on the vexed relationship between police and Indigenous Australia. Hi, Tom. Yeah, those record-breaking protests in the US have rightly put questions about the way Australia's Indigenous people are treated by police back on the agenda. I'm willing to risk my health so that another black person isn't killed in custody. Yeah, Indigenous incarceration rates here in Australia are actually on the rise and First Nations people here are more likely to be locked up than African Americans. Indigenous children are 25 times more likely to be locked up than non-Indigenous kids. Women are 15 times more likely to be locked up and Indigenous men 11 times more likely to be locked up than the non-Indigenous population. Yeah, and more than 430 Indigenous Australians have died in custody since we held a Royal Commission into that issue back in the 90s, and there's been no convictions for anyone involved in those deaths. That's right. There's been a number of revelations that show Indigenous Australians are more likely to get locked up for minor offences like swearing in public, they're less likely to get bail, and they're more likely to get pulled over for traffic offences. Yeah, so there's clearly a lot of work to be done here. And one of the recommendations to try and help fix this problem is increasing the number of Indigenous people in the police force. And it just so happens that the Sydney Film Festival is launching a film 
about Australia's first all-Indigenous police station. It's in a small community called Warakuna, west of Uluru, and the film is called Our Law. Here's a few moments from it. I'd like to see more Indigenous-run police stations because I think it works. I believe that for Aboriginal communities, having Indigenous police, they are able to talk to the police a lot more. Cornell Ozzies is the director of the documentary. He's an Indigenous man from the Kimberley region of Western Australia um, and he's also an up-and-coming filmmaking star. Cornell, thanks for joining us. We'll talk about the film in a moment, but first to your own experience. You know, you've grown up in the Kimberley as an Indigenous man more, and more recently you've been living in Sydney. Have you ever personally been treated unfairly by the police? Yeah, it's uh, sadly a common um occurrence um you know all through my childhood as a teenager being um harassed by police for you know not really doing anything but just being around when they're around kind of thing being cornered on the street um because i fit the description of a man they're looking for i asked you know what what was the description of this person they didn't say anything so from the get-go they weren't transparent about what they really, really wanted from me. I produced my ID and um, the name they gave me is not me. So, you know, any other circumstance, you should be able to let go, be gone, you know, because you're not the person of interest. So they decided to detain me for another 30 minutes um, while they did a, a background search for outstanding warrants on me, you know, to out you know, bystanders looking at the situation. They don't know the context of why they stopped me, but it's a black man on the corner, police. I look like a criminal. It's very very embarrassing for me. Yeah, I'm really sorry to hear that that's happened to you. But as you say, we know it's not uncommon. Um, there's a lot of Indigenous Australians who report being treated unfairly by the police. Given that, why is it that you wanted to make a film about the Warakurna police station? Well, there's just so much positive things about the, um, what's happening over there. They're incorporating culture, you know, an understanding of culture and cultural protocols. Um, they're learning the language of the land. So they're learning how to communicate effectively with community because, you know, English is a second, sometimes third language out there. So, you know, not, not fluent English speakers out in the, the community there because the language is so strong out there. So, you know, to communicate effectively, Wendy and Revis um, started to learn the language from, you know, elders like Daisy Ward um, to give them a toolkit, I guess, to diffuse situations when they do go out on call. Cornell, your film's coming at a very interesting moment. I mean, firstly, in the middle of a pandemic, so unfortunately it won't be shown in the State Theatre or another beautiful theatre in Sydney. It's part of a, an on-demand Sydney Film Festival for the first time in history. But much more importantly than that, it's dropped in the middle of a massive global debate about race relations and the treatment of African-Americans by police there and Indigenous Australians by police here. What's been your your feeling over the last few weeks as, as you've watched those events play out in America and then watched the debates being sparked here in Australia? Well... You know, we, we finished filming last year and we finished the editing uh, beginning of this year. So we, you know, no one could have predicted where we're at at the moment now. But I guess at the time when we were filming, about two days, three days into the filming, uh, Miss Clark over in Geraldton had been shot. 
at that point in the filming, we, we kind of shut down for a bit just to collect ourselves and, you know, the realization of how important it is to get stories of police actively trying to restore the broken relationship between the police force and in indigenous community. We were like, okay, if we can get a story like this out, it could inform and influence, you know, change within the police structure or our policies. You know, you might circumvent situations like that. And sadly, while we're in the edit process, Kuman J. Walker is shot in Northern Territory. And so it just kept reinforcing how important it is to show, you know, a solution. It's not the end all solution to um, police relations, but it's a step in the right direction. And if people can take, you know, the key messages from what's what the successes are in Warakuna, like, for example, it's just that they're showing respect. They're showing an understanding of the culture and cultural practices out there. And they're educating themselves. If you look at what's happening in Warakuna, it can be translated to the um, metropolitan areas because basically it just comes down to three things, respect, listening, and education. You have those three things, that's the basis of any change. Cornell, the Prime Minister said in the last week that we shouldn't be importing problems from the United States here in yeah, Australia. That's, that's a- How'd you feel about a a comment like that? I just laughed. It was pretty ridiculous. I mean, to be blinded by the fact that there is a, Australia has a history of that here. It's just utterly ridiculous. And that's, that's part of the problem is people aren't acknowledging the truths of what's happening in Australia. You know, they they always refer to us as the lucky country. Yes, we're lucky in a lot of cases and I wouldn't, want to live anywhere else in the world, but there are issues that is, that haven't been dealt with. I mean, right now with the current climate, there's a lot of focus on um, the problem, which is great, but we need to now look at solutions. Cornell, great to speak to you on the briefing. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. That was the director of the film. Now it's time to hear from one of the stars. Sergeant Wendy Kelly is an Indigenous police officer who was working at the station and then went on to work around Western Australia, helping improve the way the police force engages with Indigenous Australians. Take us back to where where police have gone wrong in the past. What what have they done wrong in the way they've dealt with Indigenous people? There just needs to be a bit more understanding between the two. There are issues that have happened in the past where it's still quite raw in some of the communities, police just need to have that bit of understanding about it and it's not their fault they don't some of them don't know it's they've never been told or you know it's but there is there are those issues that um just need some understanding that's all so do we need to formalize that process wendy do we need more cross-cultural training for police Absolutely, I think so. We, um, I know they do it at the academy here, um, cultural awareness, but I think it's always good just to refresh yourself on these things, especially especially out in these outback communities. You need to know what the issues are, I think, before you go to these places. Find out a little bit of the history as well. Wendy, we saw in the film um, you and your fellow police officer doing a lot of community outreach work. What happens then when something goes 
you know, really wrong and you have to do some really tough parts of the job, like turning up to a domestic violence dispute or something like that. How does all the groundwork you've done in building trust in the community help you when you have to deal with something really tough or really horrible? I believe that it, it actually gives us a head, uh, a leg up really because because we've already got that rapport. Um, the community trust us. They know that we're not going to be lying to them or anything. So if we tell them that they need to either come to back to the police station with us and if we have to arrest, we arrest. And they accept that. They're actually pretty good people where they they know that they've done wrong, so therefore that they've they know that they there's some sort of punishment that has to come with that. It just works, that rapport. What is the key difference being Indigenous in dealing with these communities? Is it is there an instant trust that that you will have that a non-Indigenous person wouldn't have? Um, you still need to earn that trust. And all that is is just by communicating the community engagement, which I'm quite strong about. Um, I was fortunate enough to know some of the people that were there from other communities where I've been. That helped a lot as well. I didn't necessarily have to rely on those people, but they knew me and they knew what I was like. And they knew my style of policing anyway. So if um, at the beginning, if things got a bit rough, they would come to my aid and just explain it to the people, you know, how I how I operated, which I found refreshing, really, um, especially with the juveniles. If they were playing up, what we would do is we would have, you know, let the community elders know and the chairman of the chairperson of the community know that we want to have a community meeting. So that was always a, a big thing, was getting the involvement of the community as well in some of the decision-making. Thank you so much for joining us on The Briefing. Uh, you're more than welcome, and thank you very much. So that was Sergeant Wendy Kelly, who you can see in the film Our Law, um, which is being launched as part of the Sydney Film Festival, which started yesterday was meant to be in cinemas all around Sydney, but now they've pivoted very quickly and made it an on-demand online film festival. Um, it runs from yesterday until the 21st of June. Jump on the Sydney Film Festival website where you can purchase tickets to access a whole range of really fascinating films. The film is so absolutely worthy of your attention. Please don't let this whole coronavirus business get in the way. Well, hopefully it can help you sit down and, you know, spend yeah, more time streaming these home. films. You can watch it at home. You can watch a whole bunch of them. Tom, the Uluru Statement of the Heart said that proportionally we are the most incarcerated people on the planet. We are not an innately criminal people and our youth languish in detention in obscene numbers. They should be our hope for the future. And it concludes that in 1967, we were counted. In 2017, we seek to be heard. That statement was such an enormous achievement of Aboriginal unity, and it went largely ignored by government. I really hope that this weekend's extraordinary protests mark the date when non-Indigenous Australia actually starts listening. Yeah, well, it will be interesting to see if the solutions that were laid out in that statement actually become part of the political discourse again. Thanks, Jamila. All right, that's it for the briefing today. Tomorrow, we look at MDMA therapy. Could the well-known party drug be the modern-day answer to our mental health? That's on tomorrow's episode of The Briefing. Catch you then. A Podcast One production.